My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Aaron Stevenson. It's May 25th, 2017. We're at the Nicholson Library. Uh, Aaron, we usually start off by asking people why wine, but in your case, we're going to ask you why hospitality. Ooh, that is a really great question. I guess for me, that answer goes back to um, probably my first trip abroad, which was after my freshman year in college, and I did a one-month crash course in um, Italy and Greece, and um, I went with my boyfriend at the time and his twin brother, and we made every mistake you could possibly <laughs> make when 19 and traveling abroad for the first time. Uh, we brought guidebooks that we hadn't read and didn't read, and um, <laughs> we got robbed and, um, you know, lost, and it was pre-iPhone, so maps that we're trying to navigate and places to stay. And anyway, it was a great experience though, and I felt, <laughs> despite all of those great learning opportunities on that trip, I got bit by the travel bug. And um, after I graduated from the University of Oregon, I saved up all of my shekels and went back out for three months on the road um, to Europe again, and that was a really really great experience and at that time I was weighing a couple of different options um, for career path and um, when I left on that trip the world was sort of this great economy this was 2001 we left on um, August 10th I think it was August 11th I think it was and um, trying to decide if I wanted to go to law school, if I wanted to go back and get my PhD. I'd done an honors degree mm -hmm. at the University of Oregon, so I had basically jump-start into a master's program to make a PhD program shorter if I went that route. Um, was preparing for the LSAT and um, trying to decide which direction I was gonna go when I got home. And one month into that trip, September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. We were in Southern Spain and um, you know the towers came crashing down we watched it on tv in fact we thought we had a tv for about a month it was the first morning we'd had it <laughs> and um, we saw the we turned it on we were so excited and we turned on the tv and the the tv was showing the same show on every channel we couldn't figure out why all of spanish television was showing the same uh, terrorist themed movie with these planes hitting these towers um, until we slowed down and our years of Spanish started kicking in and listening and saw that it wasn't a movie, right. you know, it was actually a real, a real event. So we spent two more months in Europe after September 11th and um, had an opportunity in a weird way to have the continent to ourselves mm. because everybody who was there went home and people stopped coming from abroad at sure. least sure. Um, and, and movement slowed down a lot even between countries. And it was a great time to really think about, you know, what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting on a beach at the end of that trip and saying, you know what, I, I don't know if I do want to go back and go to law school. I'd met at least four attorneys in that three-month period <laughs> who had just sold everything they owned. Um, no offense to my friends who are attorneys, I have a few. <laughs> and, um, you know, sold everything they owned and were leaving to travel the world because they were so miserable in their jobs. And I started to feel like maybe it was a sign uh, that I should reconsider at least that possible plan. And anyway, so I remember sitting in the speech and thinking, you know what, all I really want to do is own, um, you know, buy a small 30-room pension somewhere and uh, run a small hotel in Europe. And so that was the pie-in-the-sky dream at that time. Um, I came back home and you don't just get to do that, mm -hmm. so I got a real job. 
at selling insurance, got licensed to sell insurance and was selling property casualty insurance um, for a little while and um, didn't actually love that, so jumped ship and had applied to go back for a master's degree program at the University of Oregon, been offered a graduate teaching fellow position. Mm -hmm. And um, I got that letter of acceptance and the, the teaching offer on, I think the day before I got a job offer as the executive director of Habitat for Humanity. Huh. I'd already left insurance at that point and was doing a VISTA position with Habitat. And so I decided to go the Habitat route and uh, table academia, thinking it would it would always be there, and this opportunity wouldn't. Right. And at the same time, you know, putting that that dream of hospitality on the side burner is something that was pretty distant to be able to do that. Um, but continuing to travel, making sure that I was making career choices that allowed for that. Mm -hmm. And since that three month trip to Europe, I've probably gone back six, seven, eight more times on three to four week trips it gets harder when you have a real job mm -hmm, <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to take time away, but, but I've tried to make it a priority and be really strategic. So um, in 2010, I had a one of those stranger than life things happen where a great aunt I'd never met before died and left me a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I decided the economy had just crashed, which was probably 2009, and the economy had just crashed. And um, I was sitting online, one of my hobbies at the time was shopping for Italian real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I think my husband started getting nervous that I might actually do something with that. Mm -hmm. And so he said, why don't you stop this craziness about buying something overseas that you're gonna try to manage from here and rent out, and how about you give it a try in McMinnville where you know people mm -hmm. and you have resources and in a practical way you speak the language <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did and I at that time I was the um, community relations coordinator at First Federal managing their the bank's social uh, charitable giving programs and so and that wasn't quite a full-time position and so I decided to uh, go out on my own and see if I could make that dream happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I leased the second story of the historic McMinnville Bank in downtown McMinnville, which today is above the Bitter Monk, mm -hmm. everybody's favorite craft uh, tasting room, mm -hmm. beer tasting room. And um, went through a process of renovating those flats, well, apartments at the time, turning them into flats. and. Um, launching really a boutique lodging company, very small with four units at that time. And um, we were successful at the gate. There was a lot of, of tourism happening because of the wine industry at that point in time, but lodging hadn't quite caught up. And in a lot of ways, lodging is still working on catching up. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create an experience for visitors to my own community that was representative of what I really like best when I travel. And um, it's laughable today, and technology's changed so much since 2001, but in 1999, the first time I went abroad, or 2001, pre-smartphone technology, you'd get off a train somewhere, and you'd go to the TI, and you'd ask if there were a list of apartments for mm -hmm. rent by the night. They'd give you that list, and you'd go find a payphone, and you'd make a phone call, <laughs> and you'd dial until you found um, somebody with a room available, or there'd be somebody waiting when the train arrived mm -hmm. to say, you know, rooms for rent, 
Zimmer, whatever, whichever language you're in, whichever mm -hmm. country you're in. And um, I always I have a really uh, active imagination, so I have no problem pretending that I am a local anywhere I go <laughs> if I have the opportunity to rent an apartment for a night and grocery shop and cook and um, be in more of a natural setting. Mm -hmm. And so that was the type of experience that I was trying to replicate. And I took some of my favorite experiences from our months on the road traveling and incorporated them into Third Street Flats. So um, it was really a, a great experience going through the process of starting my own business and starting my own business in a really down economy, which mm -hmm. means you have to be very efficient and very shrewd with your decision making. But knowing if you can make it when the chips are down, then you should be able to make it when things get better again. Sure. So um, it was a positive experience. And, and after we started and we were successful, I had so many people locally come up and throw an arm around me and say, man, I'm so glad that worked out for you. I thought that was the worst idea <laughs> ever. <laughs> I didn't think anybody would pay, pay good money to stay in downtown McMinnville. Um, you know, and at the time our flats were starting at $165 a night, which is a really, really conservative rate mm -hmm. for the Valley. But to a lot of um, local folks in McMinnville, they just couldn't fathom that anybody would spend $165 a night to stay in McMinnville. And, um, and that's been part of a really interesting transformation and transition in the way that people locally view our community and are starting to look at McMinnville um, very much as a destination that people want to come to and are excited to um, experience. And um, we've always wanted to give an experience that was really on par with what our wine country travelers are, are looking for. Mm -hmm. So you've noticed that change even in just the last few years, you've noticed that change in McMinnville as a, desti as a destination for locals to, to perceive it that way. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you were born and raised here, um, which I was, um, but for the folks who were born in the 40s and 50s and watched McMinnville sort of in its glory days and then watched the, the years that were more difficult, um, when I was growing up in McMinnville, Third Street had a 50% vacancy rate. Mm. And um, it wasn't a place that you wanted to go and it wasn't a place that you even necessarily felt safe. Um, you know, there are a handful of businesses that would bring somebody downtown, but not a tremendous amount. And our community in the late 80s, early 90s had the foresight to see that um, while business had moved out to the highway and into strip malls as that process was happening, mm -hmm. that there was real value in historic downtown McMinnville and that it was something that was worth investing in and planning for. And that's when you see the formation of the McMinnville Downtown Association, mm -hmm. um, which was really driven by a group of locals who wanted to see that downtown revitalized, wanted to see that 50% vacancy rate disappear, disappear mm -hmm. and have Third Street become the heart of our community again. And so I think for some of those folks, and I certainly don't intend to speak for them at all, but I think it's almost surprising how successful that effort was <laughs> and that now people are clamoring to get to downtown McMinnville. Sure. I believe our vacancy rate now downtown hovers around 3%. It's almost non-existent right. Um, right. In, in both of our buildings it is. And, um, and so that surprised that not only did people want to come, but that they would pay real rates to have this experience that, that locals get to have every day. That's yeah. ours 365 right. days a year. We're really lucky that it is. 
So when you decided, or when you decided not to go with Italian real estate and stay in Oregon instead, did you was McMinnville purely because you were here, or did you see McMinnville as a potential like a boom area? You know, really, it's because I love McMinnville, and it's a place that I really feel people should experience. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy for me to say that my heart's always belonged to McMinnville. My very first job was working for the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> um, I've also been a paid employee of the McMinnville Downtown Association through high school and college. I've worked at the Mac Theater and Third Street Pizza <laughs> and 1893 Shops, which is now La Bella Casa. Um, so I've spent so much of my life growing up with this community, mm -hmm. you know, graduating from, from high school here and coming home every summer during college working in downtown that um, my hometown pride is so strong and there's so much beauty here mm -hmm. and there's something that we hear from our guests all the time and I feel really fortunate that I get to hear this from people all the time and that is that there's something really special about McMinnville and it's not just the food and wine that's certainly incredibly special mm -hmm. we have 18 walkable wineries in downtown McMinnville we have 35 restaurants but I think it's actually something other than that. Um, there are other wine regions in this country. There are other towns with food and wine. Mm -hmm. But there is this um, kind of earnestness, I would say, and this independent spirit um, in McMinnville and this sense that all ships rise together, collaboration. You know, you really see everybody in McMinnville working together. Um, we've had so little change in our leadership over the years um, at the college. Um, with our mayor, our city manager. Mm -hmm. In fact, recently, all of those things have turned over, mm -hmm. so it's kind of a dawn of a new day for our community. But um, there is something that is just really special. And I've experienced so many great small towns across Europe and elsewhere where people share their stories and their local experiences. And so for me, it's always been about telling McMinnville's story and mm -hmm. sharing McMinnville through my lens. Everybody has their own lens on it, but all I can do is is share my perspective mm -hmm. and my love for the community and you know that's something that each of us has the opportunity to do um, but because of the business I'm in I, I get to interact with a lot of out-of-town visitors which is great mm -hmm. and that's something we always really want to do in, in both in Third Street Flats and um, and in our new project as well. So on, on that note so I, once you started Third Street Flats uh, you started just a small number of units and, I, and you, you've expanded since then and now you have a new project in the, in the works. So tell us a little bit about, about that. You bet. So um, my my parents, are your parents ever right about things? Oh. Every now and again, yeah. maybe always. Yeah, they, they, they think so. Yeah, you know how when you're in high school you think your parents are so dumb? <laughs> and the older you get, the smarter they get. Mm -hmm. You realize they've really got it all figured out. So that's an ongoing process for me. My parents really have it all figured out. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm 38 and I can tell you that. Still, they're both Linfield grads, so that's probably why. That's probably why. Alumni. That does explain it. Yeah, totally explains it. Um, but when I started Third Street Flats, they said, isn't this a lot to take on? You know, you have a, you have a job, you have a small child. Do you really want to do this? And I said, it's going to be easy. It'll just run itself. Uh -huh. You know, you take bookings online. You process some credit card payments. Um, you make sure some keys get handed out, rooms get cleaned, you know, it's not that hard. <laughs> and they said, okay, we'll see how that goes for you. Because I had um, failed to take into account the human element, and that is that people have questions and they have needs and sometimes they lock themselves out. And, you know, there's a lot of interaction and a lot of variables in mm -hmm. what we do every day. So 
Um, and lodging is a 24 hour a day, 365 day a year business. Sure. So after about a year and a half um, of running Third Street Flats in our original location by myself and continuing with my day job and a small kiddo at that time, I had a three year old, um, I decided, you know, one, business is good, and I would like to poise myself for growth someday. Mm -hmm. And two, I don't want to do this by myself. <laughs> it's exhausting. Sure. And so I um, made the decision to sell half the company, and I brought on my partner, Brian Shea. Mm -hmm. And so Brian and I are 50-50 um, uh, owners of the business now. And he immediately came up with some revolutionary ideas like when guests lock themselves out in the middle of the night, you don't have to get out of bed and bring them a key. <laughs> we could just put these lock boxes on the buildings and we could you know, give them a code and get them back in without actually leaving our homes, which was life-changing for me. I can imagine that would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. That, that particular thing happens more than you might think it does. Um, so that was great, and it also created, um, one, an opportunity to really streamline our systems, two, an opportunity to focus a little bit more on the future, and three, the creation of some capital so that we could grow again. Mm -hmm. So after, um, let's see, another year or two, we decided that it was time that we wanted to take on a second location, and we spent a lot of time investigating what that would be, and um, had an opportunity to uh, by the Oddfellows Lodge in downtown McMinnville. And so we were actually, at that point, knee-deep in an Airstream hotel concept. Um, I believe we still own OregonAirstream.com, <laughs> OregonAirstreamHotel.com. Um, and we had we were really excited about that, that idea, but when the Oddfellows building became available in downtown McMinnville, we thought, you know, um, this is so perfect. Uh, for us, and it's so consistent with our existing business model. We've got four flats at the historic McMinnville Bank building. The Oddfellows building has seven more, and so we decided that um, that was something that we really needed to do. So we let go of the Airstream idea and have been thrilled that it's ended up happening in the area anyway with the Vintages, which is an amazing um, property just below mm -hmm. Stoller. And, um, and we needed to bring on an additional partner to make that purchase possible. So we formed a new LLC, um, which uh, we thought about calling Three Odd Fellows and a Lady, but um, <laughs> it's actually just called the Odd Fellows uh, Building LLC. And we brought in my dad to help with that, and the three of us went in thirds to purchase the Odd Fellows Lodge. Um, and then we started a process of renovating those spaces and turning them into flats mm -hmm. and replicating really exactly what we'd done at our original location where we worked with our local design teams and we feature you know, all local art and products and, um, and we welcome our guests with locally made sea salt caramels and sure. complimentary bottle of Third Street Flats wine, which we work with Northwest Wines mm -hmm. um, to produce. <laughs> We do Third Street Flats coffee. We work with a, a local woman out of Sheridan who owns a coffee plantation. She mails herself beans and grinds them, and, and um, we partner with her to, to do that. And we've got a lot of other really great um, local businesses that we partner with. Third Street Books does all of our books in our flats for our book exchange, and um, you know we partner with the Bitter Monk at our historic McMinnville Bank building to handle out hand out our keys, and our Stewart and Company at our Oddfellows Lodge to um, hand out keys to our guests in that location as well. So 
we were able to make that leap and that was really three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and shortly after putting that second location under our belt, we felt like we were ready to grow again. Mm -hmm. So um, at that point we started um, really working on, on what that next project would be. And we felt very strongly that what McMinnville was lacking was a, a full service option. And so we wanted to head into that hotel marketplace and try to um, add a new element to lodging in McMinnville. Obviously we're already in that business, so we have no intention of competing with ourselves or with anybody else. Um, so we wanted to develop something that was very intentionally a complementary product mm -hmm. um, that met an unmet need in the community. And so that's what we have done with the Atticus Hotel project. And um, you know, it's always challenging, especially in downtown McMinnville, to find a location. So it took us about three years and several um, pieces of property that we were working on that didn't come to fruition before um, it occurred to us that the answer had been under our nose all along, and that was the um, lot adjacent to the Oddfellows Lodge, mm. which our offices actually have a window looking at every day as we're wondering, where should we build this <laughs> hotel? Where can we possibly find a big empty spot in downtown McMinnville where we wouldn't have to demolish anything? Um, and so, uh, and, and at the time it was a, a private parking lot. And uh, so we were able to reach out to the owner of that parking lot and um, bring him into our LLC to mm -hmm. acquire that property for, um, for the purposes of building a hotel. Sure. And that's what we've been working on 24 hours a day, 365 <laughs> days a year for the last couple of years now to bring that project to fruition. And um, we actually broke ground last week on the Atticus Hotel. Congratulations. On the corner of 4th and Ford in downtown McMinnville. Yes, thank you, it's really exciting. <laughs> and estimated opening date? So we're saying late spring of 18 um, to account for any kind of slowdowns with construction. We have a really aggressive construction schedule and um, we intend to keep it. Sometimes <laughs> sure. Mother Nature has other ideas and, sure. and things of that nature. So we're optimistic though that it will be um, you know, late spring of next year. Excellent. So you've talked a little bit about this already, but what are some of the kind of the main obstacles you face in the, in the industry, in the tourism and uh, tourism and hospitality industry? That's a great question. I can tell you what it's not, and that is the question that we frequently get. And um, guests ask us all the time, you know, I'm planning to come to McMinnville. I'm going to stay for two nights. Is there really enough to do to stay for three? I and mean, we could stay for three, but we just don't feel like there's anything to do um, or enough to do. And I always tell people, if you can get through 200 wineries, which are within 20 minutes of us in any direction in, in three days, you are a better drinker than I am because I cannot put a dent on, on that. Um, so obviously a really well-developed wine industry is a huge boon for local tourism. Downtown McMinnville has 35 restaurants. Um, you know, bon Appetit called us a few years ago, the foodie street of dreams, <laughs> you know, number three foodie destination in America for towns under 50,000, um, lots and lots and lots of other accolades that have rolled in. So we definitely have a lot going on. I would say one of the biggest challenges that our guests face um, all the time is as odd as it sounds, transportation. People are always wanting to know how to get here from Portland. Mm -hmm. Do I really need to rent a car? I don't want to rent a car. 
you know, tours, our tour, our tour companies book up so quickly, so far in advance, taxis, um, though that area is one where we're asked to make recommendations every single day mm -hmm. and uh, we do we have we have a handful of really great tour companies um, but it's definitely an area where we could use more development bikes or another we get so many questions about bike rentals mm -hmm. um, and so I would say from a guest um, interaction standpoint that's an area that we get a lot of um, a lot of questions and um, and again that um, Google must tell somebody that it's 45 minutes to get to, to McMinnville from the Portland airport and <laughs> try, right, like, trying to you know help guests navigate mm -hmm. that that transportation issue and Oregon is a really big state it takes mm -hmm. a long time to drive across it it takes a long time to drive it north to south so helping people really understand what they can do geographically within a certain time frame, sure. given the distances. If you're coming from the East Coast, everything feels right. close, and right. Oregon's a big place. Yeah. Can't just duck down to the Bay Area for the week. For, yeah, no, right. no, it doesn't quite work that way. Right. Uh, so in the last, so you've been really in the tourism industry for for a little while now. What what are the biggest changes you've seen in like in the in the tourists who are coming? Are there more of them? Are they more geographically diverse? Are they more knowledgeable about McMinnville? What, what are you seeing in terms of tourists? You know, that I, I would have, I could answer that question in a, in a lot of different ways. <laughs> um, I can say easily that a few years ago when we started um, Visit McMinnville and I had been the um, chair of the city's transient lodging tax committee after McMinnville put a transient lodging tax in effect in 2014 and um, after about nine months of the existence of that tax in that program we decided we needed to take a step back it had been created as a um, grant program initially mm -hmm. so I was both in the lodging world and having come from a background both writing grants and administering a grant program mm -hmm. I was kind of an obvious choice to chair that mm -hmm. um, that group but we started a strategic planning process and um, I really felt strongly that the only way to be successful with that, to really figure out the best way to spend these tourism marketing dollars was to bring in the wine industry and mm -hmm. to bring in our, our uh, dining industry as well. So I brought together some leaders uh, in McMinnville from both of those, those industries, um, Maria Stewart and Ellen Britton, mm -hmm. uh, Emily Howard, Courtney Cunningham, Carmen Prano. Uh, Cindy Lorenzen, a lot of folks that really have a lot of experience with both wine and dining. Hmm. And we started the strategic planning process to figure out the best way to spend these tourism marketing dollars. And that process ended up with the formation of Visit McMinnville. And we spent, I knew all, I knew all of those people um, before this process, but we spent a ton of time together. We were having at one point, I think, you know, a two or three, four hour meetings a month, almost one a week, to try to very quickly move forward with the creation of this new organization. And that created also a lot of conversation around wine dining and lodging mm -hmm. and what our relative needs were. And one thing, I, I learned so much through that process, just through all those um, various dialogues. But one thing that um, I found really interesting was that, and I, I had no idea why it was, but the areas that have the greatest distribution of Oregon wine nationally um, and internationally are the areas from which we see the most guests. 
so it's not, um, you know, we've always had a lot of people from Georgia, a lot of people from North Carolina and South Carolina, a lot of people from Texas, Chicago is a big one. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got 50 states and you're looking at them and you're going, gosh, why do we see so many people? And we're, we're super geeky about um, data. Sure. Um, and so my partner Brian and I will, will sometimes watch people on our website and we'll watch them as they navigate around and click through. We're, we spend a lot of time looking at our Google Analytics. We mm -hmm. want to know where our guests come from. Mm -hmm. We want to know who they are, what kind of demographic, how old they are. Um, as much as we possibly can so that we can make good, well-informed decisions. And so for years, we had just sort of pondered, you know, why these certain parts of the country? Why are there so many people from here and, you know, not not from these states? Have we ever had anybody from Maine? You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know, but, you know, Georgia all day long, Texas. Um, and so through that dialogue and getting everybody that had some component of tourism sitting down at a table together, I think I said that in a meeting, well, our guests primarily come from mm -hmm. these places, and I believe it was Maria who said, well, those are the states with the biggest distribution, you know, where Oregon wine is the biggest presence, so it makes sense that people have a higher familiarity with Oregon wine in those states, and sure. so they're interested in coming to Oregon wine country. Sure. So you can't underestimate that dynamic between um, the relationship between wine and tourism and, and lodging specifically mm -hmm. because it, it's a very real and a very um, important thing. I would, I would also say, to answer that question, not in a geographical sense, but in more of a um, kind of a socioeconomic lens, we see in our guests um, kind of both ends of the spectrum. We see people who are excited to learn about wine, they don't have a lot of experience with wine, mm -hmm. but they want to come out and give it a try. Mm -hmm. um, we host a lot of girls' weekends, we host a lot of bachelorette parties, <laughs> and a ton of weddings. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. From May through October, every weekend is going to be one of those three things mm -hmm. in our two buildings, um, if not some smattering of all three. <laughs> And um, so I would say that frequently those demographics don't have a ton. They're excited about wine and they want to learn, but they're not an experienced wine buyer necessarily mm -hmm. or wine connoisseur. But maybe they come out here for that girls weekend or that bachelorette party and they spend a great day wine tasting and they learn and they get excited and they discover something they're passionate about. Sure. They come back with a spouse. They you know get a wine club membership somewhere. And in that way, it's kind of almost like a, a feeder system to get people excited about wine. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are really serious about wine, who are coming here very specifically because they want to buy cases, because they want to try you know, this winery or that vintage, or um, and, and that's mm -hmm. a very different demographic. We host them too. Um, I think we'll probably host more of them when we are able to um, really provide that full service experience with concierge, valet, elevators. <laughs> That's how excited we are to have a building with elevators. <laughs> Very exciting. Sure. We've got um, some really great stairs at both sets of our buildings, but our Oddfellows building has two sets and one set is particularly steep. and. We always tease our cleaning staff that when one of the perks of working for us is that they don't need a gym membership because they've got exercise on those stairs. stairs. Right. But um, you know, and our guests they know when they come and they're 
great about it, but sometimes you see somebody with a lot of bags stop at the bottom of the stairs and look up. <laughs> Always say, I wish I could build you an elevator or, or do something, but we will be able to provide bell service to our Oddfellows building once Atticus is over. So people will still have to walk up the stairs at Oddfellows, but they won't have to carry the bags up anymore. So that's a... A nice, um, a nice perk of that as well. And then we always have a ton of, you know, anniversaries, birthdays, special occasions. Um, our market really for for us at our price point, it's really primarily a leisure market. Mm -hmm. um, we do host some business travelers, but um, mostly we are a leisure marketplace, and that's reflective. If you looked at the the lodging data from Visit McMinnville, I think you would see. I know you would see very high spikes in the, the tourist season sure. and dips in the off season. Sure. And you're always gonna see more on the weekends, um, less during the work week, during the shoulder and off seasons. It's, it's pretty consistent through the sure. high season. If you looked at a community like Salem, you'd see the exact opposite. They're at, you know focused on the capital mm -hmm. and business travel. So Monday through Thursday, they're peaked and then their hotels are open or you know, right. go down for the right. weekend. So. Right. It's a different kind of marketplace for sure. So, um, what role do you feel like you play within the wine industry? Do you feel, how do you uh, how do you place yourself within the industry? Well, I hope that the role that we play is to provide a really beautiful home base for people who are excited about Oregon wine. You know, we want to bring them in and help them both at Third Street Flats and at the Atticus. Um, we want to help people feel like they're not just passing through. Um, this isn't just another anonymous experience, but that they really um, have an opportunity to have a deeper understanding of the community, to feel a sense of belonging, a sense of discovery, um, and definitely that warmth. People, I guess, comment all the time how welcome they feel, how nice everybody is, and we hope to be able to provide that um, backdrop so that guests that or, or customers for the for the wineries that are interested in coming here have a place that they feel like meets their needs um, and and is the the home base for that wine experience um, we also spend a lot of time interacting with our guests talking to our guests making recommendations um, you know if you're coming from the other side of the country the Willamette Valley is a big place mm -hmm. and so we start you know gently helping them pronounce it <laughs> and um, we get the question all the time you know why McMinnville why should I stay here and not somewhere else why should I stay with you um, and then we get the question there's so many wineries where should we go sure. what should we do and we all day long every day we talk to our guests about um, that wine experience and we try to listen before we before we speak and to really hear what somebody's looking for those those two different types of guests that I was talking mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. somebody who's coming in for a bachelorette party and 12 girls and we want you know to get a limo and go out <laughs> that's probably a different recommendation from somebody who says you know I go to Napa every year and I want to you know I want to try out Oregon wine country we're really interested in Pinot and we want to do some buying while we're there I mean those are two very different conversations sure. somewhere in the middle is your 25th wedding anniversary couple who's got you know some good exposure to wine who's maybe been out and tasted a few places but wants to go somewhere they haven't tried before haven't heard of so it's really trying to uh, stay connected with the wineries to understand 
what everybody's offering and how to best connect them mm -hmm. with each guest and and to do it in a way that meets the guest needs and also meets you know the winery's needs and everybody has a different strategy some people are you know really happy to bring people in and sell a bottle or two and and, and other wineries are really interested in that you know, more focused on that high-end wine buyer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. than the bigger number of, of smaller um, sales sure. so we try to be we try to listen to them and, and to make sure that we're routing people appropriately. So that means you have to interact with the wine industry pretty continually too to kind of know their their perspectives and their, and their ideas. Absolutely. We do our best. It's such a huge industry and there's so many players and there's so many places <laughs> and you know they're all doing their best to get out to an ever-growing lodging field too. So it sure. kind of cuts both ways. You know, lodging is growing also and so um, that burden on your tasting room staff or your marketing group to be reaching out to um, to all the different bed and breakfasts mm -hmm. and vacation rentals and hotels to make sure that they understand. Um, it's, it's definitely a two-way street and um, everybody's doing their best to connect and keep everybody up to date on what's going on so that together we can deliver the best possible experience for, for visitors. So how would you describe the Oregon wine industry? What are your perceptions of it? Oh, I think that it is such an amazingly collaborative organization um, as a whole. I and mean, when I think about the Willamette Valley wineries and the way that, um, that really people pitch in and work together. And when I was talking about that earnestness and that independent spirit that I feel like characterizes McMinnville, I do feel like that spreads in a lot of ways um, value-wide and I think it's really amazing the way people work together, support one another, um, are always striving to, to create a really beautiful product um, at the end of the day and, um, and to communicate that to the world and to continue to raise the bar and, um, and share the story, which is really exciting. How has the industry received you? Have you, I assume, I mean, any lodging is good lodging if you're looking to get tourists to your winery. Have you had any, have you had any pushback from anyone have you, for, say, not recommending their winery enough or for misrepresenting them or has there been any kind of, has there been a pretty good relationship? Yeah, it has been. I mean, I feel like it's so symbiotic. Um, for our business, we wouldn't, we would not exist without the wine industry and, and the culinary industry as well. Mm -hmm. um, and at this point, you know, craft beverage is also growing so rapidly in the area um, because we are primarily leisure oriented and because the primary leisure um, driver is, is wine and food mm -hmm. for our um, community. It's, it's just absolutely symbiotic We're we are grateful um, to be a part of what we see is a larger tourism team, sure. really valley-wide. Sure. So no, we haven't ever had any negative experiences. We haven't had guests come back and say, why did you, <laughs> you know, why did you send us there? That was terrible. Or, um, you know, we haven't had that pushback. We hear again and again, um, you know, some iteration of the, wow, you know, we, we do one trip a year to Napa, and then we pick one other wine destination, a new place to try out each year. We hear this conversation from a lot of guests. And, um, you know, we, we always feel like sometimes or, or lately, 
um, when you're in the bigger wine destinations, people are just trying to turn a table. They're just trying to move you in and out of the tasting room. You know, there's there's so many people that um, there's this need to, to be turning constantly. Mm -hmm. And it's so different here. Everybody's so excited to see us and so warm and sit and stay and relax. And um, I think that that's a really special and beautiful thing within the industry. And I think that that our, our visitors feel it. They feel that we want them here, that we're excited to see them, and that we're all on the same team working together mm -hmm. to give them a really great experience. So, um, no, I can't think of anything that's been negative at all. That's good. Yeah. The industry obviously has undergone rapid growth. I mean, you know, we, we talk about tri tripling in sizes of number, tripling in numbers of wineries in the last 15 years or so in the state. And that spirit has survived, which is which is awesome. Do, do you see it? Can it survive as the industry continues to grow and get more competitive? Can it still be that warm and welcoming and um, and uh, non turning tables over? Yeah, you know, I I'm gonna switch that into almost a visit McMinnville question because <laughs> I've had that question on the McMinnville front so many times, mm -hmm. but I think the answer is the same. Mm -hmm. And um, when we were originally. Um, going through the process of creating Visit McMinnville, um, my dad, I said parents are always right. Mm -hmm. I want to tell my own children that, but it's not <laughs> always true. You know, he, he, um, he expressed strong concerns to me. He's been super uh, active in our community for a long time. He'd say, well, I don't know, why do we want to bring more people here? Isn't it just going to make the line longer for locals? You know, what if I can't get the cup of coffee I want anymore? I can't get a table anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and both my parents moved to McMinnville, one from California, one from Washington, mm -hmm. in the 70s to attend um, Linfield. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, wine was just in its infancy here. Mm -hmm. Nick's Italian Cafe was, you know, really the one mm -hmm. um, fine dining experience. <laughs> and um, so I said to my dad, Dad, when you got here pre-tourism in the 70s, there was one restaurant really that was a fine dining option. Has the line just gotten longer at Nick's or has tourism made it possible for there also to be a Bistro Maison and a Thistle and a La Rambla and a Pura Vida mm -hmm. and a Valley Commissary and a Community Plate? You know, it, it isn't that bringing more people here means that the experience gets worse or that the line gets longer mm -hmm. in this finite category. I think what it frequently means is that we get more variety, we get more options. Mm -hmm. um, we have that same cultural underpinning that roots us. Mm -hmm. And I would say that both within a community as McMinnville, but also in that broader wine community. You have this group of really seasoned, committed community members, whether that be McMinnville or Wine, who are here welcoming new people in. Um, a lot of our best um, restaurants are such an easy one in downtown McMinnville. You know, those are folks that are not um, all native McMinnvillians. A lot of them are people who came here first as a tourist, mm -hmm. fell in love with it, and decided to come back and invest not just by starting their lives here, but by starting a business here. Deborah and Jean-Jacques from the Bistro, mm -hmm. you know, they're coming from New York. Kathy Stoller at La Rambla is coming from Chicago. These are people that came, fell in love with the spirit, and stayed. 
And I think that you see the same sort of sentiment happening in the wine industry. So I don't necessarily see that growth as a bad thing. I see it as bringing more expertise, more options, um, new ideas, broader product lines. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you have that underpinning of this, this cultural touchstone that um, I think is that collaborative nature. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not personally nervous <laughs> that tourism is going to ruin any of those things or that a growing, rapidly growing industry, either on lodging or you know, tourism as a whole or wine, um, is going to be damaging. I think it gives us all an opportunity to work harder, be better, do better, um, and work together that much more closely to make sure that even as we're growing, we're doing it in a healthy way. and. Um, we're continuing to keep an eye on who we are and what it is that makes us special and what we want to deliver in terms of a guest experience. So I know you're involved, you've, and you've mentioned throughout your answer some of these ways, but uh, how outside of your businesses, you're also involved in the community in a number of different ways. Um, so kind of give us a rundown. You, so you, you talked about Visit McMinnville, uh, kind of rundown of the other ways in which you're involved in the McMinnville community. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I do chair the board of Visit McMinnville, and that's been a really exciting process to um, to see that organization off the ground and to grow. We have an amazing board. We have the world's greatest product to sell, and that is McMinnville, and to share that story, and that's been a really awesome experience. And I know that we're all still, um, our entire board of directors and our staff is so excited um, to talk about McMinnville and to talk about the tourism experience. So. Um, that's been a fabulous experience. I've worked for a long time actually with Linfield mm -hmm. um, through the Partners in Progress campaign on the steering committee. I've served over the years on various different city of McMinnville um, uh, committees and um, a tremendous amount of boards and, and committees throughout town. Um, I spent a lot of time working on the capital campaign, the executive committee of the capital campaign for YCAP which is our regional food bank. Um, that was a really great um, experience. I continue to serve on the board of the Oregon Community Foundation's Regional Leadership Council. And it's great to get to connect um, the OCF with local nonprofits. Um, I was the um, executive director for McMinnville Area Habitat for Humanity for five years, so that was a really exciting time where I got to connect directly um, with a lot of area nonprofits um, mm -hmm. through that work, we started the Habitat Restore and Women Build. We had a lot of really exciting things going on at that time period. Um, when I was at First Federal, I had a chance to manage a charitable giving program, so that was a great opportunity to work with. I think First Federal gives, or at least at the time, gave to something like 160 different nonprofits every year through their various um, giving programs. So. Um, a Rotarian for 10 years, so spent a lot of time um, on various rotary functions and um, yeah, a lot of a lot. yeah, a lot of different different organizations in the community, which is great. Um, being a part of the downtown association and the chamber of commerce, and all those kind of good things. And those are the webs and fabrics that make a small town function and keep everybody on the same page. Sure. It's good stuff. How would you describe McMinnville to someone who's never been here or never seen it? Oh boy, McMinnville is 
a really incredibly special place and um, I would go back to that and th this is my own description but um, it, it is this small community that is growing like everybody else and facing that um, challenge of growth with um, an open mind and open hearts and um, we are a community that I feel like is really good at solving our problems ourselves and working together and um, you know from a, a tourism from a historical standpoint I feel like we're really in some ways where agriculture meets um, manufacturing and industry you know you're greeted on one end of town by Cascade Steel you know and there is this heavy manufacturing mm -hmm. um, piece component to McMinnville there is that ag piece that's always driven our economy wine is a part of the ag piece obviously um, the farm to table movement is a part of that ag story but you know originally it was turkeys until a blight mm -hmm. killed off the turkeys it was um, walnuts until the Columbus Day storm blew down all the walnut trees it was and still is hazelnuts um, grass seed mm -hmm. nurseries um, you know there is this this way in which agriculture really is the foundation um, of our community and always has been but you take that agriculture and you mix in that industry that sort of grittier um, piece and then with that as a base layer you start to introduce you know in the I'm going to say the 90s it started long before with the agricultural base but you start to see the first stages of tourism happening I feel for McMinnville at least that turning point was when McMinnimans came to downtown McMinnville mm -hmm. um, and I was actually working at the Mac Theater at the time and watching that process um, and thinking, wow, do people want to come to this town that I've grown up in? I th I, you know, I, I think they do, but <laughs> McMinnville doubled down, or McMinnimans doubled down on tourism in McMinnville before tourism really happened in McMinnville. And um, so capitalizing on that, that wine and dining, um, you have Evergreen and um, the long story of everything within our community which is you know a saga with ups and downs mm -hmm. and lots of dramatic pieces to it but which culminates in this beautiful mu beautiful museum and this water park and an IMAX theater mm -hmm. and so I, I guess I feel like McMinnville is sort of the quintessential Oregon story in a lot of ways where you're bringing that um, rural meets urban um, with the wine and the food and these agricultural underpinnings and if I were coming from New Jersey or uh, Illinois or Ohio or South Carolina you know I feel like I would get a really truly Oregon experience by by coming and staying in McMinnville you know I would get that independence keep Portland weird right mm -hmm. you know I would I get would get that independent feel um, but also that warmth and collaboration. So I feel like it's a great place and um, a great place from which to base an exploration of the rest of the state. We're also really centrally located. Sure. So you get that small town vibe um, with some of those big city hard edges. So much culture. We've got great art galleries, fabulous shopping. Gallery Theater in downtown McMinnville is an amazing asset to our community too. Mm -hmm. And of course, Limpo College which um, is huge, that town and gown relationship is a really important piece of our community story and having that academic um, vein that runs through and all of the cultural events that Linfield brings and all of the parents and 
the students who stay and become community members. Sure. I wouldn't exist without Linfo College. There's my plug for Linfo. <laughs> we appreciate it. That's Thank great. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so what is the future of McMinnville Tourism? I think the future for McMinnville Tourism is really bright. I think as a community, um, it's easy to be nervous about it. Do we really want more people to come? Is this a good thing? Um, but as a local, somebody who lives here and doesn't want my line for coffee to get longer either, um, I think what, what tourism does for McMinnville as a community for locals is it shores up our, our small businesses. You know, almost every single business in downtown McMinnville is locally owned and operated. Mm -hmm. And if we want to be able to enjoy that vibrant downtown life with all those wonderful shops and restaurants and wineries, a town of 34,000 people can't quite do that on its own. And so if we want those businesses to be strong and healthy, if we want downtown McMinnville to remain vibrant and beautiful, you know, we really need tourism, in my opinion, to help underwrite that process. And um, our tourism is still really cyclical. So, you know, for those of us who are, are tourism based, it, it is still a bit of a challenge. You've got to make your money in the season mm -hmm. and you've got to squire it carefully because um, while I am trying so hard to sell Oregon rain as sexy, <laughs> and I believe it is, <laughs> You know, we still have some work to do on that message that January is a time that you want to come to Oregon wine country to see that the moody mist between the vines. That's right. Yeah. We really want that. It's a great time to be here. You get more personal attention from winemakers. That's true. Fewer lines at restaurants. <laughs> I do the sales pitch regularly. But people have to call in order to do that pitch. And they have to even have the, you know, the ideation has to exist that you might want to come here true. to even explore it. And true. so... Um, it is highly seasonal, and one of Visit McMinnville's main goals is to help level out that seasonality. When you see businesses go under in downtown McMinnville or decide to move somewhere else or quit, that doesn't ever happen in August. That usually happens in February, March, after you know a few months of the slow season, mm -hmm. and it's just hard to hang on mm -hmm. at that point. So, if luckily there seems to always be another business that wants to come in when that does happen but you know i think we have i think we have a distance to go to really make sure that we're on solid um, steady year round footing from that perspective and i think that that's really when you're talking about um, tourism as economic development that's really what the value is mm -hmm. for every one dollar of um, tourism marketing that's for every one dollar that's spent on marketing a tourist destination, $237 are put back into the economy from those tourists who come. So it's a really efficient way to um, stimulate mm -hmm. an economy. Sure. And um, so I think that Visit McMinnville is still in its infancy. We are still um, just starting the process of getting the word out about McMinnville as a destination. I think that Willamette Valley Wineries Association with the barrel auction has some newfound um, marketing dollars as well and I think that there's a really wonderful collaboration between all of the organizations that are working on tourism um, between Oregon Wine, the various cities, etc. to get that message out, to get a unified message out and I think as a country in terms of a time and a place people are really interested in um, 
food and they're interested in wine and they want to know where their food comes from mm -hmm. and they want to know how those grapes were grown. I think mm -hmm. people really care. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting because we are a wine industry that's made up of you know largely small independent boutique wineries who have a story to tell about how they how they how they make their wine, and um, I would say it's the same on the tourism or other side of the tourism spectrum. When you're at any of these restaurants in downtown McMinnville, usually you're being waited on by the owner, or <laughs> the owner is cooking. You know, we are all small businesses, and that's um, you know that means that you don't always have a balance sheet that you know is as um, impressive as a, a huge corporate chain, but it also means that you have a really special story to tell, and I think it's a great time because I think that a lot of people um, care about that story and they want to hear it, and sure. that's good for us. And I think that that's part of why tourism is so hot in Oregon as a whole. Sure. Um, I think last summer, lodging um, occupancy in Portland was something like 93% citywide, and that's that's everything from your high-end hotel down to your least expensive mm -hmm. uh, offering so it's a pretty impressive amazing statistic amazing. yeah it is so you strike me as someone who's a little business restless in terms of wrapping up one project and, and diving into the next so what does the future hold for you and your business well I don't know that's a, a great question um, I do occasionally start dreaming of the next one and then my entire team looks at me and says <laughs> Really? Let's get this one open before we start <laughs> moving on to the next thing. So, um, yes, I'm a sucker for the big idea. I like to chase the big dream for sure. And um, so we're going to be very disciplined and very focused on um, the Atticus Hotel and mm -hmm. getting this project off the ground and um, giving people an amazing experience of McMinnville and Oregon wine country. And um, once we've done that and caught our breath, we will survey the field and um, see what exactly we want to do next. I think there is, I think there is definitely a next in our future. We, um, you know, I would say that for myself personally, I'm a little bit more of a fixer than a maintainer. So, you know, I'm always, I'm always dreaming of the next thing. So we'll see what that is. If that's something else inside McMinnville, um, or if that's something where we branch out of our of our own community and and see if we can um, take what we think is an exciting and new lodging concept and introduce it somewhere else too. Sure. But you see yourself staying on this path of kind of hospitality, tourism. Absolutely. You know, it's just um, people people work so hard and they have so many things pulling on their time and I think that everybody gets this vision in their head of, of vacation and getting away and it's such a special magical time for all of us no matter where we go or what we do and um, getting to be a part of that experience for others is really gratifying and um, getting to share a story mm -hmm. about a place that I love and that's been so important to me throughout my life is also really gratifying so if I have the opportunity to interact with people when they're doing the thing they've been dreaming about all year and I get to tell them about the place that I've always loved, then that just feels that feels like a really win-win sure. situation sure. for everyone. So as something of an, out, uh, as an outsider to the industry, I'm just curious, the last question I have for you is, do you have any thoughts on the future of the wine industry in the area, in the state, 
McMinnville specifically. What do you see the future of the wine industry looking like oh, from your perspective? From my perspective, I think it's I think it's so incredibly bright. I mean, obviously, Oregon wine um, has always been, but is certainly now on the map in a really big way. I think that the wine region of the year was a really, really exciting accolade. Mm -hmm. I think that the attention from um, international wineries and you know big national groups mm -hmm. like the Jackson Family Wines, I think all of that signals um, excitement about Oregon wine and the opportunity to tell that Oregon wine story on a broader on a, on a bigger stage, um, both nationally and internationally. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, to me, as an outsider, not somebody who owns a winery, I see the future and it looks so bright um, for Oregon wine. And I do believe strongly in the culture within our community and within the industry and that that's not going to be disrupted by those changes mm -hmm. and that we'll be able to continue to work together and to thoughtfully carefully, strategically navigate those next steps, um, both as tourism in, in McMinnville, and that's the conversation I'm engaged with mm -hmm. on a daily basis, but I have complete and total faith that within the wine industry, um, they're having those same really thoughtful conversations from a strategic standpoint. And certainly everyone that I work with in the wine industry or that I have a personal relationship with, um, they all have so much passion, but honestly, um, so much vision and the ability to be really thoughtful and really strategic, not just about their own brands and their own products, but about the industry as a whole and that, um, that vision for, the, for a broader um, valley and a, and a very unified future for Oregon wine. So I think nothing but good things are gonna happen. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.